in your offering or grabbing coffee, uh, make your way in as soon as possible. Good job on the lights there, guys. Way to go. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, we're doing a series, uh, Revelation of Truth. And so we've been talking about principles that are necessary for the Christian to be kind of installed so that we can think and understand differently. They're kind of platform principles in order that we can move into another place, which is understanding how we're supposed to live. And this idea is this is like a, a precursor to another teaching that's called kingdom culture. And the idea is that Jesus has called us into this place of transformation, but we cannot fully transform if we don't understand basic truths. And a lot of things that have happened over the years, and the, there, there, are, there are foundational principles that I find are absent within the life of the believer. And in order for a house to be built, we have to build what? What, what does the house sit on? A, a foundation, right? Okay, so Jesus said if the house is built on the sand, what happens? It falls down. But if it's built upon the rock, it will stand. And the rock is the revelation that comes from his word. The rock is not just Christ himself, but the revealing of the truths that he has taught us so that our houses can be properly built upon the right foundation. And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the, uh, understanding the Lord and who he is. And we've been talking about like sin and the devil and what that looks like. And we talked about the authority of the believer. And last week, because I love to talk about the promises, that was one of my favorites. I love to talk about the promises of God understanding that we have the promises of God. And today we're going to talk about grace. And grace is oftentimes misunderstood. Grace is not properly uh, expressed. And what we oftentimes think of grace as, as sort of this passive acceptance, right? We understand that grace is like a passive acceptance. It's the grace of God. It's just a passive grace, you know, which is God's just giving me like a, a pass and I'm just under his grace and all this other stuff. But to understand what grace means... We have to go back to the original language, and we don't just have to go back to the biblical understanding, because a lot of the ways that the commentators explained grace to us was how they interpreted the Bible to be saying it. That's one way of understanding it. Another way of understanding the word itself is by not just going back to the original language, which the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, but going back into the Koine Greek itself and understanding how it was applied within the culture of the Greeks, what they saw it as. That's another way of understanding it. And you can bring the two worlds together and you can get a much clearer picture of what the scripture is actually saying. And so we go, we, here we have this idea in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For great, everybody say this, for by grace. Come on, I need some participation here this morning. I need to know you're there. For by grace, I am saved through faith. It is not of me. It is a gift. It's presented as passive. In the Koine Greek, it is Koine, which is the ancient Greek. It's not modern Greek is even different than the Koine Greek. Koine Greek was the Greek that was spoken or the type of language. It's kind of like our, our language, English. We don't do the ye's and the thou's and the these, right? But that was the way the king's English used to be spoken. Thou art with me, art thou not? Yeah, that was the way. We don't speak that way anymore. English is kind of modernized a little bit or, or changed over the time. Greek is the same way. The ancient Greek is different than modern Greek. Actually, the ancient Greek is more complex. And God chose a very complex language to, uh, to give us an, a deep understanding. The Greek is one of the most specifics of all of the ancient languages. The Greek is so powerful, but it's li literally the root and the basis of most languages. Latin or, and, or Spanish, if, we, if you will, You're, if you speak Spanish here this morning, that is the base, Greek is one of the base languages or is the language upon which Spanish is built upon. 
A lot of the, the Spanish words and concepts and constructs come from the Greek, as does French and all of these different, particularly the Romance languages. And Latin itself comes out of the understanding of Greek. So Greek's important. It's very specific. In the Corne Greek, the word for grace is the word, say it with me, charis. It's where we get the word charity. It's where we get the word charm. It's where we get the word character. That's where we get these words from, is from that Greek word charis. What charm was to the ancient Greek, how did they apply charis? How did they apply this word grace? What did they see it as? So the Greeks saw it as an ability that was not their own. The Greeks never saw grace as a passive thing. They saw it as a power. They never perceived it as something that was just kind of like, you know, almost like bread on butter on a bread, just this passive thing. You know, que sera, sera, grace is over us. Grace, when the Bible's talking about being under grace, or the Bible's talking about being imparted with grace, it's talking about an endowment of power. So you know, the very words for the Greek word, in the, in the, again, in the scripture, when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, or the power of the moving of the Spirit, it uses the word charismata, again, which is the movement of grace. So God always relates the word grace in the scripture, always gives us the understanding of grace in the understanding of power. So by grace you are saved. By spiritual power you are saved. And that not of yourself. It's not just this passing sweep by grace you're saved. What transforms us, you got, come on, anybody here born again? You know what it means to be transformed by power? You know what it means for Christ to come into your heart and boom, all of a sudden everything's different? That wasn't a passive thing that you encountered. That wasn't just something that just visited you. That was power coming into you and everything is different. So again, grace is what is imparted to us. But that grace, to understand, say this, say this with me, grace, grace. is spiritual power. Got it? So, okay, it's an achievement and an ability that is not your own. It actually, charm, in the, the understanding of that, is a power that leads to success. So when we understand grace, we understand that not only is grace that transformative power that changes us, but grace is it gives us an ability that we did not ordinarily have. You with me? As a believer in Christ with the Holy Spirit, you have an ability that you would not have under any other ordinary circumstances. You have it. It's not just an ability, it's in a power that leads to success. According to the power that works within us. The power that is within you, that grace, the power with the Spirit, if properly applied and properly followed, leads to success. What does that look like? Well, I don't know. What's it look like to you? Where do you need success? Deuteronomy 28, we read all the promises last week. And the Lord kept emphasizing to me all week, because I was kind of meditating on Deuteronomy 28 again this week, and the Lord kept emphasizing to me the first part of that chapter, and it says, these things shall come to pass if you, will, if you will diligently listen to the Lord your God. In other words, they will be inevitable. Success is inevitable if you will apply the power of the grace that is within you. Success cannot be denied you. Christians cannot be defeated, ever. The only way the believer is defeated is when they quit. They're distracted. They're a tree that doesn't, they're, they're rooted, but they can't bear fruit because they're distracted. But if they're applying themselves into the principles, the, per, the power of God, success is inevitable. In due season, you will reap if you faint not. That is an absolute promise of victory. It's assured. Now, who said that? Did you say that? I didn't say that. Jesus said that. 
You will reap. Be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you will reap. What is your well-doing? Following the Spirit of God. Being obedient to the principles, the constructs, the, the, the dominion of the kingdom of God. Applying yourself into that, you will succeed. Say it with me. Come on, raise your hand. Are any revolutionaries in here? Put your fist up. Come on, we're revolutionaries. We changed the world. Right? Say, I cannot fail. In Jesus' name. Failure is not an option. I will succeed in all ways in Jesus' name. And I will not quit. Come on. All right, yeah. Charm is my cheerleader. I just got to give you a high five down there. There, boom. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So we get the word charm from that. We get the word character from the word charis. Same word. Means so if we understand these words, we understand how the Greeks applied it, we can actually understand what the Bible is saying. That's the idea. Character means to be stamped. Means to rise with distinguishing qualities. Do you know that the grace that is within you causes you, if you will apply the principles in the Spirit of God, you will rise with distinguishing qualities? Huh? Do you know that about yourself? What the Bible does is we are created on purpose with a purpose, uniquely made. I got this word construct just working in me today. I keep wanting to use it. And I'm like, I just used that word twice. I don't want to use it again. But we are uniquely, I'll use it. We are uniquely constructed by God with abilities, talents, and purposes, and missions. Those constructs, here we go again, are activated by the grace and the power of God. So your full identity is only actualized through the Spirit of God, by the power of God, which is the grace of God. Does that make sense to you? So the grace that's been given to you causes you to be stamped and marked, causes you to rise above mediocrity, causes you to become something in a generation of worthlessness. You become the people of value. We become the answer. We become the leaders. We become the ones who are endowed with the wisdom and the understanding into things that other people cannot see and understand. Character also is not just stamped with unique qualities and ability. It means beauty. So they saw charis as beauty, right? So the charis and the grace that has been given to you is the beauty. And what they saw the beauty as is an evolving beauty, an ability to become. That's how the Greeks understood. This is the way that they would think when they would look at the world. They're very philosophical, as you can see. That's where we get all our philosophy from, actually. So the beauty, when they saw beauty, they thought that charis was an ability to become beautiful, an ability to turn and transform into something amazing. That's what's given to you. They saw it as a power to make new. They saw women as more gracious than men. Why? Because women possess the ability to give birth. And so when they saw grace, they understood grace, they saw it as an ability to birth something. Can I get a witness? Do I have any prophetic people in the room? Come on. The, when the grace that is given to you is an ability to bring forth life, an ability to bring forth birth. Birthing what? Ideas, concepts, understanding, revelation. Whatever it is you need to be birthed in you. Dreams, visions. What do you need to have birthed in you? Do you need new life? Do you need a new beginning? Do you need a new tomorrow? The, that ability is given to you and imparted to you with the grace of God. We quoted Deuteronomy 8.18 last week. Is the Lord your God has given you the ability to obtain wealth to establish his covenant in the land. God wants you blessed according to his principles and for his purposes. He's given you the ability to get wealth. He didn't say he's going to come to your door with the Reader's Digest check and a bunch of balloons. He said, no, I've given you an ability to gain it. 
I've given you a wisdom, an insight, an understanding that is unique to your design that enables you to go and gather everything that you have need of. That's what the Bible is saying. And where does that come from? It comes from the grace that is given to us. We keep waiting for God to do something that he has empowered us to do. This is the Christian. We're just waiting on the Lord, waiting for God to do something that he has empowered us to do. Some of you in the room today, you need to say, Lord, activate in me and awaken me to what you have given me. And taking that verse in Deuteronomy and pressing into it, Lord, what is my power to obtain wealth? Well, maybe wealth to you is not material goods. That's how we oftentimes understand it. Wealth to you might be understanding, might be wisdom, might be relational health. What, what, wherever the arena of your life, because it spans all arenas, whatever the arena of your life that you need to prosper, God has given you the ability to get it. You need your marriage to prosper? He's given it to you. You need your kids to prosper? He's given it to you. You need your future to prosper? He's given it to you. You need your faith to prosper? He's given it to you. It shifts the responsibility to us. Because the responsibility is ours. This is a divine partnership. If we cannot, if we fail to understand the divine partnership in the message of the kingdom, we're going to miss everything. We're going to miss everything. The reformers taught about the sovereignty of God, and they have misconstrued the understanding of what the scripture is saying. The Reformation movement, which broke the church away into what it is now, did a lot of things on the positives. There was a lot of positives that were there, but they, they brought into it also a misunderstanding into certain principles. Not salvation, but other principles. Because, and you say, well, how do you know that, Kevin? Because I read my Bible, and I know what the Bible is saying. Okay, Actually, Martin Luther, when he read his Bible, and he read the Bible in Greek, that's what made him turn away, because he said, for the first time, I actually understood the Scripture. If you understand what the Bible is actually saying, it begins to make sense. They understood grace to be a power and ability to give birth. You have it. You have it. It's virtue. That's what they saw grace as. You know what virtue is? Force, power, strength. This is why the Bible says you have been endued with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Dunamis, it's the same idea. Charis, the grace, is, carries with it force, strength, and power. It's the same concept, same idea. It also brings life and excellence and value. So, okay, here you go. You're in the spirit, and you can feel your value and worth when you're in the spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You feel really loved by God when you're in his presence. I didn't say your head feels that way, or your heart's telling you something else. That's why the Bible says stop listening to your head and stop listening to your heart. Listen to the spirit, because the love of God is upon you. You are loved and accepted by him. And why, is, why do we feel that way? Because the grace is imparted. That, all of that is the aspect of grace. It's what he gives. It's important to understand so that we can live in grace. We are called to live in grace. Do we get that? This, and this, and this is, it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's easy to say that. It's a little harder, and I wouldn't say it's even harder. It's, a, it's just a, something that has to be more fully understood of what the Bible is actually telling us to do. And so, all the, listen, I come from a lot of teaching churches, and they, they will go to me. Like, I, I grew up under an understanding, like, we, live under, we just live under the grace of God. I was taught the passiveness of grace. That is not what the Bible is telling us. That is not what the Scripture is saying. It is not a passive thing. And the reason that it's taught is because it's not understood. 
And it's not understood because we have to go into the text to understand the text. We have to go into the text to understand it. The Bible says some very difficult things. Anybody here? Jesus says some really difficult things. Things that if you read it on the surface, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? Or if you read the Bible on the surface, you're like, what the heck is it talking about? Well, it's kind of like God holds it up there and says, does anybody want to know more? We have to press in in order to understand more. All right, so next slide, please. So this is the grace that's been given to you. Grace is the essence. Grace is at, at, at its essence the power of life. Life. That's why you feel alive when you're in his presence. That's why you feel alive. Alive is an awakening. It is an understanding. It is an ability to create. That's what it is. In his presence, we have an ability to create. In his presence, we have ability to understand. In his presence, we have an ability to see that we do not possess any other time. I've never known anybody to be in the presence of God and be depressed. It's impossible. For in his presence is what? The fullness of? That's right. You cannot be in his presence and be depressed. So you know what your prescription is from Dr. Jesus here this morning? If you're depressed, what should you do? Get in his presence. If you're depressed... The prescription from the doctor is get in my presence. Because in my presence is the fullness of joy. You get it? I didn't say your problems all went away. I just said you just now got the fullness of joy. You'd be like, uh, you know, everything's falling down around you. I know, but I'm in the presence of Jesus. I'm in the fullness of joy. Right? That's the, that's the idea. Activation of spiritual power. It's the same idea. It says charismata. Grace is not passive. We've been given something with an intended purpose. What God has given you, he has an intended purpose. What has to be understood by the Christian is that what we have been given is not to just sit around and do nothing with. Grace is an active thing. It is an active thing. It is to be activated within the life of the believer. It is to be activated within the community of the believer. So what it is is it's we're all individuals, so we're all these individual cells, and grace becomes activated, and the light starts going on. Then we all come together into this one big thing, and when we all come together and we begin to work corporately, and we begin to see corporately, and we begin to vision corporately, boom, the power goes off. That's the idea. With the power, you ever guys ever have Christmas tree lights? This is always the challenge. And you got that one bulb, you know what I'm saying, that's ruining the whole display. And you're like, what is going on here? So, but when you get all the bulbs on, what do, you, do you see the attraction? And so while each individual bulb is to be lit up, when they're put together, they present something amazing and extraordinary. That's the idea of the activation of grace within the life of the believer and the activation of the life of, the, of Christ within the community of the church. Where does grace come from? The fullness we have received, grace for grace. What is God's Bible saying? From Jesus we received what? Spiritual power for spiritual power's sake. Why did he give you grace? He gave you spiritual power. Why? In order that you would have spiritual power. Simple, simple answer, right? And from him we have received grace for grace. We've given spiritual power for spiritual power's purposes. You know, not because we're anything or anything else. Just God says, I want to give my people spiritual power. Why? Because I want to do it. That's what he's saying. For the law was given through Moses, but where does grace come from? Grace and truth come through Christ. Grace is imparted only through Jesus. Not Allah, not Muhammad, not Krishna, not L. Ron Hubbard, not anybody else can impart to you the power of grace. This is the significance of the gospel. This is what makes Christianity different. The difference within the Christian belief is that we have the power of God residing in us. Therefore, we know what we teach is true. 
We have the glory of God within our bodies. Christ lives in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. You understand? We don't worship a, we don't worship, um, a religion. We don't follow rules. We follow the Spirit of God by the voice of God through the Word of God. That's how that works. And that's what makes the Christian's faith different than every other faith because they're not real, they're false. Truth is in the grace that is imparted to the believer. So when they say, how do you know Jesus is real? You know what my answer is? Real simple. He lives in me. He lives in me. I can tell you Jesus is real. He lives in me. And I called on all the gods. I called on Budweiser. I called on Oscar Mayer Baloney. I called on them all. And they never lived in me. And they never changed me. And they never transformed me. And they never imparted anything to me. But when I called on Jesus, wow, that's the goal. You shouldn't shun the wow, Christian. You should not shun the wow. You should embrace the wow. Wow. This is who I, wow. You should embrace it because it's what he's given you. It's a grace. It's given to you. Grace comes through Christ. What is the law? So the law, if you want to understand the law, it's essentially parts of the Old Testament, but it can be summed up in the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? Uh, go read them. Exodus 20. I'm not going to, I don't have time to get into all of them. But the purpose of the law, so the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ. So the intent of the law, what is the purpose of the law? God gave the Ten Commandments, and this is going to be a shocker. The Ten Commandments were not given to be kept. And do you know why they were not given to be kept? Because you can't keep them. They're impossible to be kept. Can we talk? Really? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, uh, honor your mother and father. All those are the easy ones. You know, and then we get into the whole kind of, you know, uh, the sixth one where we're like, oh, don't murder. Well, I haven't done that. Oh, yeah, have you hated someone in your heart that you wished them dead? You've broken the law. Well, I've only done one thing. The Bible says if you're guilty of one part, you're guilty of the whole because the, whole, the law requires perfection. You ever coveted in your heart? You ever wanted what somebody has to the point that you were willing to just, oh, I just want what they have. I just want to take it from them right now. That's coveting. The desire for what someone else has in a healthy way, saying, man, I'd like to get there too. I'd like to achieve those things too. That's not unhealthy. The covetousness comes when I'm going to take it from them or I'm going to do whatever I can do to take theirs. That's covetousness. We're just going to bring the car right up into the driveway here this morning. <laughs> Open up the garage door, see what we got in there. Right? We've all done it. We've all done it. What the Bible is telling us is the Ten Commandments, it says, therefore, no one can be made right by the law. Why? Because the law works of the law, rather through the law, comes the consciousness of sin. The law is given only to show you that you're a sinner. That's why the law is given. It's to show you who you are. Why? Because the number one thing what sin does is sin blinds you. Sin makes you believe that you're someone that you are not. Everybody read the book of Dorian Gray? Let, we can talk about that on the positives. Oh, I'm better, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Or sin makes you believe that you're depressed and you're a loser. Neither one of those things are true. Sin lies. Jesus pulls down all of those and shows us the truth. You guys know the story of Dorian Gray? You guys know the story? And you, you ever read it? You watch movies on it and everything? Dorian Gray was a guy, a good-looking guy. They painted a picture of him because he was so handsome. He was just amazing. And he started off really like this kind guy. And uh, he, he kind of went into all this corruption. And as he started living this corrupt life, he willed that all of his corruption wouldn't come upon him but would come upon the painting. So as time went on, the painting became more and more distorted. 
And Dorian still stayed handsome and good-looking and beautiful and everything. So he hid the painting in a closet. In other words, he refused to look at his true self. He would not look at who he really was. And so he was pretending to be someone that he wasn't. Well, one day he encounters the painting, and he sees how ugly and disgusting he really is. He takes the scissors, he cuts the painting, he falls down dead, so I just ruined the story for you. So there you go. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But that's what ends up happening. And what this, what, there, there's a lot of truths in that story, because a lot of times we hide who we really are up in the closet, or up in the, the, the attic in that case, and we don't really want to understand it. What the Bible does is it holds a mirror up to you, and it shows you you're lost. For the intent of what? It shows us that we're, we're lost so that we can see that we can be saved. The doctor says this so that you can have that. That's what Jesus is saying. He's revealing something to you in order that this can, and let something, that a remedy might come to you. Next slide. So the law was given to reveal the knowledge of sin. The law brings the diagnosis of the human condition. Grace comes through Christ alone. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. John 10, 10. One of the aspects of grace is life. Okay? So that's the idea. Grace and truth. So what's the purpose of grace? Why did Jesus release grace? Well, number one, to save. To save from what? The condemnation of the law. We are outside of God's kingdom, outside of God's family. The Bible says under judgment. Without Christ, you're under judgment. That judgment may not be activated yet, but nonetheless, those who do not have Jesus Christ or confess Him as Lord, you are under judgment. And again, I'll have to go back to the sin blinds you. I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. No, that's not true. Well, let me tell you something. Without Christ, when you pass through the veil of this world to the next, you're going to understand that that is exactly what is true and that you have been blinded and sold a bill of goods. There is salvation in no other. And it is at the name of Jesus that every knee bows and every tongue confesses unto Christ alone. We are lost, and the remedy of God is not through any other other than Jesus. There's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He didn't say, I'm one of many. He said, I'm the one and only. You get the picture? And so Christ came to release forgiveness. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. It is through grace. It is through spiritual power. And how does it look like? It's, Lord, I don't understand. I just give my life to you, and I receive your salvation. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. It's as simple as that. It doesn't take a lot for a person to be born again. It really doesn't. He's made it very, very simple. He's done all the work. Basically, all man has to do is take a step. But it's incredible how difficult that step is for some people. It, it is incredible to me how hard it is for some people to just take that step. All they got to do is take a step, and you're born again, and you're forgiven, and you're adopted, and you now have an inheritance. You may not have all the knowledge, but you've just now become something that you weren't before. But it, that is so hard for people. It's so hard. That's the, it, like the, the world should be saved with that message. It's that easy. Well, Kevin, I don't know. <laughs> idolatry, intellectual idolatries, idolatries of the mind, idolatries of the heart, the worship of the self-will. I think, I feel, I want. That's your problem. That's the root of sin. The root of sin is I think, I feel, I want. The root of the gospel, not my will, yours. That's the root of the gospel. You get the picture? It's the transformation of your lordship for his you aren't Lord. You're, you're, you know, regardless of how much you think, your ideas and your concepts are not God. I don't believe in gravity. I always tell people, get up on the roof and jump. You're going to believe in gravity on the way down. 
Gravity will be instructing you on the way down. I don't believe in God. Well, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Christ is the only way. There is no other. Jesus imparted power to save you. It is given. It must be received. So Jesus has released it, right? You have to receive it. You get the idea? It can be here. I can invite you to a dinner party. I can say, hey, man, I'm having a dinner party. But if you don't RSVP, you can't get in. So what do you got to do to get in? You got you to respond, s'il vous plaît. That's what RSVP means. Respond immediately. Respond at once. Respond, please. So when Jesus put, has invited you into his house and into his kingdom, you have to RSVP. Even though everyone is invited, not everybody's name's on the list. Jesus died for the world. But if you don't RSVP, you ain't getting in. Right? That's just the way it is. The Lamb's book of life, do we need to go into that? His name's written in the RSVP. Is the RSVP, the angel's the doorman. Nope, not on the list, dude. Oh, yes, come right in, Carmen, right this way. Yes, absolutely. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Party's going on. Uh, so we got uh, food over here. We got dancing going on over here. And, uh, you know, all the really good stuff is further back. Go, come right in. You? No, sorry. Oh, uh, you know, we don't even want to get into that, but another time. But grace is the power. What is the power? It is the gift of his presence. It is the access into his presence. God's presence is grace. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive, we obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. What does this mean? Grace is forever active. Grace is available to the degree that you want it. I'm not talking about saved. When you're saved, you're saved. But the grace is the power that enables us to believe. And the grace is the power that enables us to become and do. That power is available to the degree and to the extent that you want it. Say this with me. If I don't want it, I can't have it. Even though it's there, I can't have it unless I want it. That's the way it works. What does it say? Come boldly. You got to go get it. What do, I, what do you come to get? You get mercy, which I'll explain, but you get grace. Grace for what? For whatever you need. Any grace to get it through the day, go get it. Any power to get through the day, go get it. You need a new vision, a new hope, a new tomorrow? Come on, go get it. Go get it. Well, God just doesn't love me. You know, you're waiting for him to come. God's like, come and get it. Come and get it. It's right here. Can you get up off the couch, Kevin, and come over and get it? It's right here. Come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace. It's there in the time of need. Next slide. Let us come before us. So we have to go where grace is found. Mercy. You know what mercy means? Covenant loyalty. When you come before the throne of God, God begin, you begin to understand who you are. God does things for you because he's in covenant with you and he is loyal to who he said he would be. So we come before his throne and you say, well, you don't know what I did last night. God doesn't care what you did. He knows what you did last night. He's got it. But you can still come before the throne of grace and the Lord will be loyal to you in spite of you. Aren't you glad? The Lord is loyal to you in spite of you. Yeah, so true. We deny our, we, he cannot deny himself. He is faithful even if we are faithless. That's what the Bible says. He will not deny himself. He will be covenantially loyal to you regardless of who you are if you're in him. He'll call you to repentance and of course you've got to clean up. He'll, you know, he'll want you to clean up your room from time to time. Huh? Anybody get a messy room? Right? That's what happens with us as Christians. We get messy rooms. 
and then we just keep the door shut and we don't let Jesus in. No, no, I can't let Jesus in. The room's messy. It's just going to go, okay, let's clean this place up. Let's clean this up. It's got to be cleaned up. Anyway, it's another story. <laughs> that time of need means holiday season. That's what it means. That's what that word means. That you may find mercy in the time of need. In other words, when you come before the Lord to get mercy, it's going to be a party. God's going to do something. Season is going to change. The time is going to change. Jesus is all about, he brings his goodness. He brings celebration. That you might find grace in the time, and find in the time of need. It also means time of opportunity. Grace is the power of, to come. I need power to overcome. We go before the throne of grace. And we don't go, we go, oh, I don't know, no, it doesn't matter what you did. We go because God will be covenantially loyal to you. And he will give you grace in spite of you. That's how good he is. That's how good he, we should never, ever run from Jesus. Ever. We're running in the wrong direction if we do that. So what does grace do? It saves and empowers. Grace calls out a people. The purpose of grace is to save and to empower. It is to call out a people. I will return and build it. It says, okay, I'll read it for you. Simon declared how, this is Acts chapter, uh, four, what is that, chapter 14, I believe. Uh, it says, Simon says, declared to you uh, at first what was finished among the Gentiles, and with his words the prophets agree that after this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild his ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind can seek the Lord at the, as the Gentiles, even my name, says the Lord. The idea here is that God uses grace to call out a people. So the purpose of grace is to save and empower, but also to create an assembly. He creates a culture of people that are contrary to the culture around you. That's the idea. Grace empowers you to be contrary. Grace empowers you to be generous in a world of greed. Grace empowers you to be loving in a world of hate. This is the idea, and we are to do it as a community. We're to become a city within a city, a transformational entity in the city in which we live. Next slide. So grace's purpose is to save, to empower, to build into us a people. Rebuild the tabernacle of David. What does this look like? is the rebuilding or the raising up of a habitation of worship and adoration. It begins individually. So grace is given to you so you can worship. Do you know that? Worship is, worship is access into his presence. You can worship with song. You can worship with thanksgiving. You can worship with meditation. Say this with me. The number, way to number one way to worship is to open my mouth. Open your mouth, Christian. It's the number one way. Yes, you can receive. Yes, you can do it. But when you're receiving, just begin to bless the Lord and begin to bless him back. I don't have time to get into all of this. It maybe it might seem a little unclear when I'm finished. But um, to rebuild the tabernacle of David, to re re raise up a habitation of worship and adoration, begins within the heart, begins within the church. It makes greater and greater levels of increase and in access into the spirit. So grace is given to you to empower you. But grace is also given to you to call you into something greater than yourself. And grace is given to you to cause you to worship, to be a habitation of the Lord, that we are the habitation. This is what the Bible's talking about when it says we are, the, we are the temple of God. This is what it's talking about. Grace is given to you that you would be the habitation of the Lord, so that when you worship and pray, the Lord would inhabit you and his habitation would be in you and you would walk out into the things that he's given and have access to his power so that others would seek the Lord. What does this mean? Grace is not a one-time thing. It's meant to be lived in and lived from. If you live in grace and you go about your day, go on your job, get filled with the Spirit, and go to your job and work out your day from your job in the Spirit. See how, see how things work. The world's going to be different. You won't have to work. Time's going to fly. People are going to look at you and go, wow, what's wrong? There's just going to be something different about you. Things are going to happen if you begin in the Spirit. As grace is not a one-time thing, and grace is not a passive thing. It's given to you to be lived from. 
That's the idea. We live in and from grace. And again, it's not passive. We just, this is how I've, I always see it. It's like, well, we're just living in the grace of God, Kevin. Living in the grace of God. And I felt the Lord has taught me this, and he's shown me. He says, is that what you think I'm saying? Is that really what you think I'm saying? And I've discovered that is not what he's saying. We live in and from grace. This is an essential truth, Christian. This is what keeps you from going dry and being in wildernesses and all this other stuff, is if you learn to get into the grace. Grace is not a one thing. It's power given to the believer. What's it given to you for? Ready? Say, grace is given to me to save me. To cause me to rise, to cause me to succeed, to make me beautiful, to give me the ability to create and restore. That's what you have. That's what you have. You all have it. Differences between Christians are those who know what they have and activate what they have, those who don't know what they have, and those who know what they have and don't really care. They're indifferent. It's a tremendous amount of indifference among the believers today. They know what they have, but they, don't really, they, could care, they couldn't care less. That's the mark upon the church. And there's got, God is raising up a revival generation. He's raising up an awakening generation of people that understand their inheritance and actually are willing to do something with the inheritance that they're given. We're a group of people who are filled with all the right things but couldn't care less. We have all the knowledge in the world. We have more knowledge in the church than we've ever had before, and yet we're more indifferent than we've ever been. Why is that? Because we don't understand the grace that's been given to us. We don't understand the activation of the power that's been given to us according to the power that works within you. That's what it is. We have to understand this. And it has to matter to you. It's not enough for you, Christian, to, go, to leave here this morning and go, grace has given me the power to rise. No. Take it and go, Lord, in Jesus' name, show me where I can rise. Speak to your mountain and say, in Jesus' name, I declare I rise. In Jesus' name, speak to your circumstances. The grace is given to me, succeed? Yeah, head only and not above only and not beneath. That's what my Bible says. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper even as your soul prosper. That's what my Bible says. I don't know what your Bible says, but that's what my Bible says. Yeah, I'm the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Blessed is me, am I, am I coming in? Blessed am I going, going out? I'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. That's the truth. So the issue is to get the truth into the reality. And how do I do that? I understand that it's given to me. And I stand in it, I walk in it, I declare it, and I respond when God gives me direction. He will give you direction. When you start making prophetic declarations and you start speaking, things are going to start happening. The actualization of what you're saying is going to start happening. It's not the publisher's clearinghouse check, though. He's going to start telling you, do this, do that, do this, do that. I've had this immense feeling upon my own spirit lately that I'm just supposed to bless people. And I'm like, okay. And so what will happen is, the other day I couldn't chase the lady down fast enough. She had a back brace on, but somehow she got to the car like that. I don't even know. I had all this stuff. And as I'm walking out the door, I could hear the Lord going, go back and pray for that woman. Go back. And, and I'm like, okay. I'm like, but I got to get home. You know, I'm having this little, you know, you're having this little inner monologue, but I got to get home. And I, you know, uh, I feel like, well, go back and pray for that woman. Okay. Shove the food. Run back. Boom. She's in her car driving away. I mean, I mean, I missed it. But the point was, and I've had other encounters like that where it actually did happen, but I felt like the Lord, what the Lord has been telling me is to be intentionally purposeful in blessing people. And so when I, when I hear that and God nudges me to bless someone, what am I supposed to do? Wave as it passes me by? I'm supposed to engage it. I'm supposed to engage it. Whether I'm comfortable with it, right? Say it with me. Come on. Here's our new word for the year. The price of revival is dignity. It's dignity. You want power moving in your life? It's dignity. 
undignified. Well, it doesn't feel dignified. I gotta go pray for a woman with a back brace. What if nothing happens? What if something does? What if nothing happens? What if something does? God didn't tell me to do anything other than to pray and lay release power over her and grace to her life. That's all he told me to do. And it may seem undignified to me. She doesn't know me. What's she gonna think of me? Who, who cares? Who cares? If you want the kingdom, God will drive you to the point where you don't care anymore. You don't care what people think. You don't care what people want. The only thing that's going to begin to matter to you is if it brings your glory, Lord, I'm okay with it. If dancing in my underwear, like David said, brings the glory of the Lord, I'm all right with it. You look shameful today, David. Oh, well, Jesus was glorified. Jesus was glorified. That's the point. But we're, we're all about dignity. Oh, hmm, I'm undignified, Kevin. Or insignificance. We think these little things don't mean anything. They mean a lot. It's mustard seeds. Begin to declare, begin to reach, begin to understand. Christian, understand what you have. And don't just go, oh, wow, this is great, and kind of roll around with it like a teddy bear. Like, understand what you have and put what you have to work. Put it to work. Your ways are not his ways. His ways are not your ways. Say it with me. As the heavens are higher than the earth, this is Isaiah, say it. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways above my ways. Say this. His ways are foolishness. They are. God takes the foolish things of the world to bring about the, the, to bring about the wisdom. The foolishness of God's greater than the wisdom of man. And he uses the foolishness things of the, the world to confound the wisdom of man. This is what he does. Grace is the power and ability to live free. Live free, believer. You're not under condemnation. Who's kicking you? Who's beating you up? Who told you that? Who told you there's no hope? Who told you there's not a better tomorrow? Who told you you've gone too far? Who told you that? Live free, Christian. Live free. You're loved, man. You're loved. You should be free. Woo! We should be like, woo! Worship should look like this. Why? Because we're free. We're free. The last slide. I'll close it right here. I'm going over. Anyway, here we go. Is that the last slide? That is the last slide. Woo! Let's be free. Hey, come on. Let me give you a real quick opportunity. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Christ into your life, that is not something you've ever done before. And you're hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm not quite sure I've ever done that. I think I believe in Jesus, but I don't think I've ever asked him into my heart. Today's your day. We're just going to close this sermon or this, this time together with two, two quick prayers. First is an invitational prayer for you. Just ask Jesus into your heart. And we're going to pray together so you're not going to be embarrassed. We're not going to call you out or anything. We're just going to pray. And you're just going to open your heart and pray with us and ask Jesus to come, and he's going to. And then I'm going to speak a prayer of blessing over all of you, uh, everyone, and that'll be our dismissal. But if that's you this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I just ask you this morning to open up your heart and receive Christ. And all you got to do is just, again, open your heart and pray with us. So let's pray together. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand everything, but I choose to believe it. I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. 
May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live in his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. If you need prayer, we have prayer over here.